the Askell Leadership Podcast. Before I introduce our podcast today, I should just say that all of our podcasts are recorded using internet technology as we can't meet face-to-face at the moment. On this recording, unfortunately, we had a couple of internet issues. We have edited out the worst points, but you will hear a couple of times where the sound drops a little, and we're sorry about that. For this podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Claire Keating-Roberts. Claire has just finished her doctorate at Cambridge University, looking at system leadership and, in particular, the effect of change on leaders as they move their schools into a multi-academy trust. However, Claire is not a full-time researcher or university academic. She is an assistant principal at Samuel Whitbread Academy, which is in the Bedfordshire Schools Trust, and she's had a number of leadership roles, both in one academy and across the trust. Currently, she leads the pastoral care system. I will let Claire introduce herself and tell you a little bit more about her background. But first of all, a very warm welcome, Claire. I'm delighted you can join us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Rob. Um, So I currently work in a large upper school as uh, assistant principal, uh, currently in charge of safeguarding and behaviour. I've had quite a varied career over the over the time, um, started as a music teacher, uh, head of music, head of drama, head of music, uh, head of dance, sorry, uh, and then it just gradually moved into um, senior leadership. And and again, I've, I've concentrated on teaching and learning. I've moved over to the the pastoral setting now, and um, yes, yeah, so I've had quite a quite a varied time, but thoroughly enjoyed every step of the way. Fantastic. Um, just tell us a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, about the purpose of your research. Um, I know you've, you've clearly been doing this doctorate. You have been focusing on system leadership. But what what is the purpose of your research and why did you think it was necessary? So I've always been interested in, in educational research and I've always been interested in educational research um, having an impact on practice. I mean, it's quite easy to... to do a PhD that sits on the shelf and actually isn't relevant. So for me, it's always been about improving practice. Um, quite early on in my career, I was working in a school that had joined a trust and I was really excited about the opportunities that trust working, working gave. And I remember at the time, um, the head teacher shared lots of exciting opportunities about working across different schools, working with different teachers, different age settings, at different types of schools and different contexts. And for me, that was really exciting. And multi-academy trusts were a, a, a new thing and something that, that really rang true with my philosophy of education, of, of educating, you know, all children, all children being our children and, and improving, improving their life outcomes. So I, I started off on this journey and in, in really wanting to know how we could work better between schools to have really good uh, multi-academy trust working. And there's a lot of research out there looking at focusing on pupils' outcomes in terms of multi-academy trusts. And for me, I was, I'm was i more interested in what it feels like to work in a trust. What's it like for senior leaders and for head teachers and for um, teams that work across schools? And so my research then sort of developed into finding out what it's like working in a multi-academy trust for leaders. And I, I really concentrate on senior leaders, head teachers, 
centralized team and governance as well, because I think that's an area that, that we we sometimes miss off when we're talking about multi-academy trusts. So I started off exploring how they may feel during the process of moving from a single academy to multi-academy trust. And my studies are longitudinal studies. So I then took their opinions uh, three years later as the trust had, had developed them a little bit further. And from my reading, what strikes me really clearly is that the way multi-academy trusts are structured is we have a real opportunity to have these mini systems and for colleagues to work across the system in a sort of systems leadership capacity. And what I found is, as we were going on is that, um, that senior leaders were a little unclear as to, to what this might look like um, and how this might impact on their role. So, so for me, it was, it was about finding out what it was like for them and to make some suggestions as to how we could make working in a multi-academy trust a little bit easier, a little bit better for for leaders in our trust. Fascinating that you you focus on leadership um, and that, so let's just start with how you define leadership. What What is leadership before we move to systems leadership, which I'm also going to ask you about? So leadership for me is is about um, working with people. It's about um, understanding how interactions with others and how we can use that to improve how we're working as opposed to, to management, which is about structures and procedures and policy. And for me, I wanted to find out how, how does it feel? What does it look like to, to work across a trust? What does it um, what does that leadership look like? How does those interactions work with with other leaders? Uh, what are the good things about that? What what actually needs to improve? So for me, leadership was was in this sense is about people. It's about how we understand people react in certain situations. And presumably, that's not to say that uh, management's not important. It's just to say that the two are linked but distinct is that yeah absolutely I, I completely agree with that I think management is is a lot more um clear-cut it's it's based on very clear guidance whereas leadership is dealing with people's emotions and that of course is massively unpredictable and so if we can understand a little bit about the emotions and the the way people are approaching things we can gain a better understanding of how that that works and earlier on you talked about system leadership in particular so having had me force you to define leadership how would you define how would you talk about system leadership systems thinking has been discussed for quite some time but for me in 1990, it was Peter Senge that, um, in his text, The Fifth Discipline, started writing about systems thinking as a conceptual framework. And he presents this notion of a learning organisation where institutions are required to improve outcomes through learning from others rather than dwelling on their own context. And he says at the heart, quote from him, he says, at the heart of a learning organisation is a shift in mind from seeing ourselves as separate from the world to connected to the world, from seeing problems as caused by someone or something out there to seeing how our actions create the problems we experience. A learning organisation is a place where people can continually discover how they create their reality 
and how they change it. And I, abs- I absolutely love everything that he writes about learning organisations and about how organisation, organisations can learn from other organisations. But he does say this is a, a huge sort of mind shift and it's hard for leaders to, to be that because sometimes we're so absorbed in our day-to-day accountability that that sometimes takes away our ability to see outside our immediate academy, immediate school. He actually writes outside of education, but I think the concept is is something that that is um, that originally brought this concept of, of systems leadership. And then we move on to um, Michael Fullen, who adds on to this this notion and talks in 2006 about systems thinkers in action where um, leaders work intensely in their own school, but at the same time connect with others and contribute to the wider education community. So in that sense, they're bringing learning from their own context to support others in in other contexts. And I think one of the criticisms of systems leadership is that it's not possible because everybody has a different context. And I would argue Absolutely. Everybody does have a different context, but we can still there's still a huge amount to learn about how we deal with people, how we approach um, challenges. And I think there's a a huge amount that we can learn there. And then from Fullen, he writes so extensively on systems leadership in action. Uh, We go into Hargreaves um, and Hargreaves, 2008, 2009, wrote four think pieces on um, a self-improving system where he talks a lot about the only way we can have a self-improving system is by systems leadership, is by building the capacity to lead um, education nationally through working together. And so if I was to look for a definition of, of systems leadership, it would be to consider our own context, absolutely, but to work outside our context to support others. And as I said, that's, that's, that can be really tricky to do because of the sort of high stakes accountability that we're working in at the minute. It's very hard to step back from our own school to support others. But the importance in doing that for other schools is great, but it's also great for us as developing ourselves professionally because as we look outside our school, outside our academy, outside our trust, we gain a different perspective. We gain gain a different idea of people working in different contexts that we can then bring into our own working. Great. Thanks, Claire. I think the thing I take away from that most is the idea that a systems leader has to lead a learning organisation. I think that's a, a, a fascinating link which, which now that I think about it is really obvious, but I'm not sure I've uh, thought about it like that before. That's the theory base, if you like. That's the ideas about systems leadership. But where else do you think we would see systems leadership at the moment? Because I take your point about accountability. So where else would we see it? Do NLEs, are they the jump forward into systems leadership? Absolutely. And this this was a discussion point that I that I had with um, one of my examiners. And I think one of the theories around systems leadership is that systems leadership is the NLEs. It is this concept of national leaders in education. And I would I would agree with that. I think that's the first step in 
in the profession recognising the importance of us working with each other and gaining expertise from each other. However, I do think we are we have many systems. We don't just have this national system of schools. We have many systems. We do have local authorities. We do have smaller groups of schools. And we, of course, have multi-academy trusts. And, and in my research, I argued that the multi-academy trust itself is a, is a mini system, essentially. And within that mini system, we can use the expertise within that system to support other schools. And we know that multi-academy trusts are, are hugely varied across the country. Some have two schools, some have 10 schools, some have over 100 schools. And so we haven't really got a, we haven't got a clear way of working in terms of multi-academy trusts. Within each of those different trusts, they have different leadership structures in terms of uh, colleagues working across different schools. Some schools have working across schools in terms of HR, in terms of finance, uh, which is referred to by Hills et al. as uh, back office staff. But we also have some trusts that have colleagues that work in the teaching and learning sector, work in, in safeguarding, in, in pastoral. And I found it quite interesting that there's such a dichotomy of, of approaches in terms of how trusts work across the trust if, if that makes sense yeah. um certainly in the in the uh, research i found the example i found we had a um a trust where there was a director of education that concentrated on teaching and learning we had a director of maths a director of english and some other roles that, that were being decided um and these roles i think are are going to be the crucial aspect the crucial the bit that we've been missing to support us in creating a self-improving system, supporting us in creating good systems leadership approach to our to our multi-academy trust. Now, the problem we have there is that we have very little support currently for those type of roles. I think professional identity plays a huge part in us as leaders. I work in a school that I'm passionate about, I'm very loyal towards. I love that I'm part of a team. I love that we win lots of rugby games. I love that there's a team, team spirit to our, to our school. And I just worry that those roles that are across schools where they don't really have an affiliation to a school, that their professional identity that may be a little bit lost or a little bit unsure, particularly if they have come in and then around to that school setting. Um, I find that particularly interesting. And just adding to that, the, the other difficulty is if you have a multi-academy trust and one of the leaders within a school is promoted to a role that is then trust-wide, how does that affect their professional identity? Are they viewed then as being more biased towards the school that they've come from? Are they um, wanting to put in a little bit more work maybe for that particular school that they used to work for because they did, did have a vested interest there? And so I would, I would really, I don't have an answer, unfortunately, but I would really like trust to consider those particular roles and the impact it has on those leaders because uh, I think that's an undeveloped area at the minute. So do you think that role identity is a key part of system leadership then? Yes, I, I think so. I think 
historically, if we, I think the easiest example for me to take here is a head teacher. Um, historically, the role of a head teacher had, had quite clear boundaries. I'll use my nan as an example. So she, whenever I speak to her about school, she has, you know, it's obviously come to the conversation with her own experiences and she talks very highly of her headmaster who would make all of the decisions, would be the one standing at the gates to greet her as she walked into school, would be the one standing at the gates when she left, would know her parents' name, would know her siblings' names. So she has a very clear sort of vision of what a head teacher would be doing. But what we don't take into account is that identities, role identities have have changed. And what we do with our experiences is that we then could think that that's you know, how the role is enacted. So my own experience of what my head teacher was at school, I then think that's what the head teacher I'm working with should potentially be doing now. And that's where we have a little bit of, um, of conflict. Because if, if we as senior leaders are seeing head teachers leaving school site, working at a different school, that might conflict with what we know as the role of a head teacher. The role, the identity of the role as a head teacher has evolved over time. And I, I think the same is for senior leaders. I think very little has been done on CEOs in education, and that's an evolving role itself. And part of the problem we, we have is we have really no role identity for leaders who are working across, across the trust. What are the expectations of them? And it's exciting in a way because they're shaping it as they, they go along, but all the leaders working with them have probably got, and I found it in my research, have got different views on how their role should be enacted. And that's where we have conflict because some people think they should be doing this, this and this, and others think they should be doing something completely contrasting. And to be honest, they can't really win at the minute until the trust can clearly identify and articulate articulate to leaders the purpose and the remit of of those roles. And again, that's going to be different for, for every trust. Do you think there is also an issue in terms of the barriers to system leadership? Is there an issue with national policy at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I think a re- really fantastic text that I enjoyed was by Toby Greeney. I think it was in 2015, he wrote a text called Are We Nearly There Yet? And he's referring to, are we nearly at the self-improving system that essentially was the point of academies and multi-academy trusts when, they, when the idea first came about? And he very well puts together this argument that I don't think we could ever be there because of the contradicting um, narratives that the government are sort of wanting of of education in in the UK and he talks about four different approaches that the that the government are wanting but actually they're very contradictory so the first he, he talks about the education system in the UK should be world class and we should be top ranking in PISA and other international measurements and essentially what they're saying there is you know raise your game accept the consequences and we will be the best in the world but then we also have another narrative that says actually, we're going to give you the freedom to teach. You can teach however you want. We're going to give you complete autonomy and we completely trust you and it's all down to you, which could work with the world-class narrative. Then we have a market-based approach uh, where he, he talks about so Dominic Cummins 
says to Michael Gove, and I'm going to read this quote out, hopefully recent reforms will push the English system towards one in which the state provides a generous amount of funding per pupil, which parents can spend in any school they wish, while the DfE does little more than some regulatory and accountancy and due diligence functions. So really, what they're saying there is it's about choice and competition. So we have raise your game, we trust you, choice and competition. And then lastly, the last narrative was about this systems leadership approach. And again, Michael Gove announced in, in 2010 that at the heart of the government's vision is that school leaders should, should work towards improving the system as a whole. Um, and there should be a huge amount of collaboration to Im improve the system. So these four contradictory approaches of raise your game, we trust you, choice and competition, and then work together, collaboration is key, are just not compatible. And until we have a very clear direction on, on how we get to a self-improving system, it's going to be really tricky for us as a profession to do that, I think. And I think part of that contradiction, confusion, whatever we might like to call it, is played out in the inspection system as well. So you know, at the moment, individual schools are inspected, Multi-academy trusts are only really inspected as a group of individual schools. That seems to be just another example of, uh, of the confusion the national system's working under at the moment. Absolutely. What are the barriers? We talked about a couple of barriers there. So we've talked about role identity as being a barrier to successful system leadership. We talked mm -hmm. about contradictory national policy there. What other barriers do you think there are to successful system leadership? I think one that I saw um, in my research was that of head teachers who may be approaching leadership with a very, we might say, a, a hero leadership style. And that is to say that maybe they're not keen on hearing other views, they're not keen on collaboration, very much want to work particularly in their own school. Um, and there's some reading around this concept of egocentric organisations whereby the organisation cannot see any flaws. And when I mean organisation in this sense, I mean school or academy. They cannot see any flaws because they're so um, absorbed in their own in their own context. And you mentioned Ofsted a minute ago, and, and that was something that came through in my in my research is that when a school had been had been awarded an outstanding badge, that then the, the organisation found it very hard to, um, to understand why change was needed or to adopt any change. And we call that a normalcy bias, where they, um, they, they cannot see... Uh, the, the view is that things have been perfect the way they are and we've, we're outstanding as we are and um, someone has told us we're outstanding. Therefore, we cannot see the reason why we would make any changes to what we're currently doing. And that, for me, is a, was a big, big barrier because they're unwilling, those type of organisations, unwilling to make changes and see the benefits of change. 
you know, on the complete other end of the spectrum, we have those that have change fatigue, where the, the, there's constant change change happening, and, and those schools are just as, as as difficult. But one of the barriers of, of systems leadership is certainly those schools and leaders where they feel that they're working in a school that is outstanding and therefore cannot learn from anyone else or any other organisation. That's really a tricky balance, I think. And so I remember having a discussion with a group of HMIs a few years ago that outstanding should really refer to the system. So outstanding should be reflective of the fact that a school works beyond its own four walls and, and works with other schools as well. It, it didn't happen, but it was an interesting conversation at the time. I found in my research the danger when a school had been inspected and, and awarded an, um, an outstanding that there was a, uh, an attempt to replicate everything they had done in that year to get to that outstanding point and to continue to keep trying to replicate that. And sometimes inspections were you know, few and far between and therefore they were replicating things that they had been doing eight or nine years ago and struggled to listen to other voices um, to support them in changing and moving, moving on. Education moves very quickly. And so that, that that's a challenge for those type of schools. Interestingly, in our first podcast, Richard Sheriff um, talks about the role of the CEO, the trust leader, as not being a bigger head teacher, um, that it is a completely different role. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you reflect on that as well. So one of the things I definitely pick up from what you've just said is that a key skill of a system leader is change, change management and, the, and managing change uh, at the right time, which I suspect uh, in the current circumstances is certainly being tested enormously. You, you talked a little bit about hero leaders there and the idea that that as a default setting, is that what you're saying? As a default setting is, is unlikely to be the, the setting that works well within system leadership. I think you're. I think what you said it, unlikely to work well. I think there are there is a time and place for that type of leadership, and I always think as a leader, I'm constantly changing my approach to different settings, to different things that that come up in my role. And there is certainly a place for for hero leadership. But when you are, I'm going to use that blinkered. If you're blinkered to any other change, then it's very difficult to as you said to do that change the type of approaches that we have in particular situations be really aware of that those that default position is to be a hero leader and therefore would struggle to see other perspectives and my way or the highway essentially really struggles to have that learning organization that that Senj spoke so so highly of is there, is there anything else you want to say at this point Claire before we move to the the final bit i mean we've just been talking about barriers for systems leadership and one of the other barriers that i often hear is is to do with a school's context uh, particularly to do with the school's age range i would say quite a few of the multi-academy trusts nationally have got a mixture of age ranges of mixture of primary and and secondary schools and quite a lot you know aspects that i was hearing in my research was we're a primary school what can we learn from a upper school that our teaching learning is completely different or the way we assess, assess our children is completely different our, all our approaches are different and and that for me became quite a barrier to people working across the system and what I will say is that 
those that were open to seeing to that working and seeing if they could find anything that was of support really did appreciate it and there was an example in my research where um where uh, they were approaching it was an aspect of teaching and learning and primary one of the primary participants said absolutely not going to work in this school we you know we're prime you don't understand our children um you don't understand how we do our job but there was another another um colleague participant that had said actually that bit wasn't relevant but if we approach it in this way just as the other school does then I think that could be relevant to us. And it's about being really open to the opportunities that cross-school working could give you and to try and get out of the mindset of we're a completely different school and therefore we cannot learn from each other. That's a hard thing to do. So just following on from that, is it possible to say that in order to have a successful multi-academy trust and in order to join a successful multi-academy trust, you need to create the culture of a learning organisation first. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm interested by the word successful because I think successful we often associate with student outcomes. And I would, I think my research in terms of success is about job satisfaction and well-being of our leaders and ensuring that we keep the best leaders in our in our schools and in our in our systems but yes absolutely i would i would agree that the the most successful in that sense is absolutely what you just said yeah okay great thank you claire my final question which is the question i asked to everybody on the trust haskell podcast is about de-stressing because leadership is a stressful job it is sometimes an overwhelming job and I think during the last half term we've seen some incredible challenges how do you take time to de-stress absolutely agree with you it's particularly at the minute it's a very challenging time I think as a leader the problem we have is that our brains are, are constantly on the go we we're in school we're doing all those operational things we need and I find that when I get back from school I'm doing all the strategic thinking that it really really hurts my brain you know those things that really need some time and some space to to get your head around and so for me I need to I know that I need to do activities where my brain isn't automatically veering into thinking about some strategy that I want to implement so for me it, it is playing netball so as soon as I um get on court I can't think about any leadership strategy or things I'm implementing at school I don't have the opportunity because I'm thinking about my teammates and I'm thinking about where the next pass is going and although it's absolutely exhausting I do come away from those games and those training sessions mentally recharged physically trained but mentally recharged because it's so important that you have that time to stop thinking and people often say, you know, move away from your laptop, watch the television. But you're, I think, if you're a passionate leader, your mind will always sort of veer towards what your the next projects that are coming up and things like that. So for me, I need to physically do something that will stop my brain from thinking about the next thing I'm working on. Great. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you so much for joining us today, Claire. It's been fascinating. And if anybody wants to know a little bit more about uh, Claire's research, uh, if you email me, I will certainly put you in touch, happily to put you in touch with Claire. And I'm absolutely sure that Claire will respond as well. 
as being a system leader herself. She loves to uh, both learn and give to the system. (laughs) Thank you very much indeed, Claire. Thanks, Rob. The Ask Old Leadership Podcast. 